another exciting episode of ARG Presents. I am Amigo Aaron, joined as always by the renowned Mound of Sound, John Boat of Car Schaller. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Boat, hello. So, for those of you that joined us last week, you'll recall that the Retro Roulette spun the wheel, we made the deal, and this week we'll be playing games on a venerable Nintendo Game Boy. Now, Bo, did you have a Game Boy back in the day? I did. In fact, this is one of the few consoles that I still own the original one that I had. Uh, this was actually... Actually, that's a lie. This is my sister's Game Boy. <laughs> um, my sister had one. I guess my sister and brother shared one. I covered mine with uh, fashionable stickers from Nintendo Power. Oh. Um, and uh, <laughs> that, that Game Boy is lost to the mist of time. But this Game Boy is vintage from the uh, early 90s. Now, I, my brother had a Game Boy back in the day. And the one thing I remember about it was the fact that it, it actually had incredible battery life, mm -hmm. which is which is always crazy. But the reason it had that was because it was not backlit. Right. And I remember that was the the uh, one thing that I had trouble getting over uh, was the fact that it was hard to play with this thing like outside. So that much said, it was actually easier to play this to me than it was the future Game Boys that were not backlit but were in color. Yeah. And I guess that's the contrast of the way the, uh, the, the you know, the monochrome looks. Well, I can tell you it was always easier to play the Game Boy outdoors compared to the Game Gear because by the time you walked outside with the Game Gear, the batteries were already dead. Well, the and, Game Gear, you're right. But I'll, I'll, even the Game Boy Advance, the unlit yeah. ones, they were they were a little tough to, mm -hmm. to see. Definitely. And I think definitely. the monochrome actually, it's funny. And, this, the Game Boy was trumped many times over by superior, you know, superior systems, but uh, uh, really crushed them all. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 a, lo a lot of more superior, more beautiful systems fell in its way. And what people figured out, the lesson of the Game Boy, is that the games fall over on the table easily. Every time. And that battery life trumps all. If yes. you can depend on this thing to get you through a long, you know, car trip or something with just a couple sets of batteries, you're you're gold. It's funny for the longest time, the only thing I had, and this is really decades after the Game Boy, was the GP2X, mm -hmm. the uh, quirky Korean handheld, and even it, uh, as as far flung from the Game Boy as it was, that it went through batteries like an, at an unbelievable rate, and it effectively. When the batteries don't work, it doesn't matter how beautiful your system is, you're boned. Right. And so uh, the Game Boy stood out and probably still gets played quite a bit because they've held up pretty well. I know there's some issue with like screen rot and whatnot, but does this one still work? Uh, I have not fired this up in a number of years, but I would think that it probably, it was treated pretty well. I think that it probably would still play. I remember when I went to the uh, now I think defunct Nintendo store in Times Square in New York, mm. uh, they had a Game Boy that was played in Desert Storm. And I guess it had been left out in the desert and yeah. been through a firefight and melted, and it's still powered on. I've I seen mean, pictures of it. Yeah. It looks it looks horrible, yeah. but it, that is amazing. <laughs> They're incredibly tough. Mm -hmm. uh, they could take a slam and a beat, and yeah. they were they were built to last for sure. It did also include one of the all time great pack ins. It, it may be the all time great, which was Tetris. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you spent some time playing Tetris. Oh on this yeah, back in the not day. only by myself, but linking up with a friend and playing against each other. At the time, it was very cool to do that. I didn't come from the computing background you did where you had LAN cables and things like that. So the idea of hooking two different consoles together and playing simultaneously was mind-blowing. I will say this, that, uh, being from the PC side of things, when the Game Boy came out, 
there was not a lot of land going on. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, uh, the uh, the Game Boy was one of the first systems I saw where you could. I mean, it's the fact that they included the uh, link cable was sort of a lot of uh, some good foresight from Nintendo. And I don't know how many people use it. Did you use it a lot? I mean, back in the day, I, just for Tetris. I think that was the only game that I had that supported it. I see. I see. So we had a a million titles to choose from. The Game Boy was the master of. Good titles, bad titles, shovelware titles, movie tie-in titles, toy tie-in titles. It has them all. Mm -hmm. So we picked a couple titles from that huge library to look at. I'll lead the show this week. And the title I chose was Hyper Load Runner. So Hyper Load Runner was distributed by Bandai and was pub was actually developed by an outfit called Tosai or Tos Limited. Uh, this company is unusual in that they prefer to develop their games in the shadows. They don't want any credits. They don't want to be mentioned on any boxes. After which, this uh, game, I can see why. Well, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. And and they actually uh, they produced a lot of games. They did not produce a lot of what I would call good games in in their in their lifetimes. But they you know it is what it is. So uh, again, this was a Bandai game. Uh, this came out in Japan in September of 89, and North America in February of 90, and in Europe, November of 90. So it took a year to get this thing fully rolled out. Uh, and what you've got here, uh, to sum up Hyper Load Runner in, in, in a few sentences, uh, you play a, uh, a character who's going around and trying to get gold, mounds of gold. And he's pursued by what are effectively bad guys, which are called monks. What and was that movie where they're, they're like, I want me gold? Oh, what? <laughs> that little guy r jumping around. That's a leprechaun? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, leprechaun. Yeah. Was... <laughs> it's, it's funny you should say that, being so close to uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we did that on purpose. We oh, took yeah, this game oh, on it's purpose. All, is that what it is? Well, <laughs> guess what? The leprechaun can keep his gold because there ain't nobody going to get it, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so the load runner runs around. And I guess load runner, mother load, you get what I'm saying? Uh, uh, he runs around and tries to get all these mounds of gold and outwit his pursuers. Now, does the load runner have a gun? No. Does he have teleportation powers or flight? He's no, he doesn't have any of that. What's he got? He's got a shovel. Mm -hmm. And uh, his only defense against the, the, the uh, attackers in this is to dig holes. That they, he does dig very quickly, I'll give him that. And when these guys fall in the holes, he can run over them and keep on going. And then eventually the hole will fill up, the, and the guy will either crawl out or he won't, and then continue the pursuit. Um, the game is built on a puzzle sort of uh, uh, logic. You, uh, you have to, this is not the kind of game where you go out and start whooping everybody's butt. This is, a, this is the most tact tactical game probably ever made for the Game Boy. Um, this was actually based on a very, very important uh, video game in the history of games, which was the original Load Runner. Uh, the original Load Runner, the first time I saw it was probably, it had to have been on the, I have to think, it was either on the Apple II or an early IBM uh, PC. Uh, it was done by a fellow named Doug Smith, Doug was an interesting cat. Uh, he he worked back in the day. He had a job at the University of Washington. This is way back, 
and he was in charge of basically night, being a night guard in a, in a computer lab. Mm -hmm. It was effectively what he was there for, and no one would ever come in. So he started working on a game, and uh, and eventually another guy joined in, and that guy gave up after a couple of weeks. But this guy had nothing to do all night but to work on a game, and that game became Load Runner. It became quite popular there. It was distributed around the university. And uh, this, this is a, sort of the same set tale we've heard a few times where guys develop these games to get popular at a university. And eventually he brought in one of his relatives, a little kid, who would play this game. And he'd be like, listen, we need to take this game home. Can we just dump this thing on an Apple II disc and take it back to the house? The guy's like, no, it's, this is a mainframe, man. We can't do this. So the kid bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. And finally he said, okay. And he went and he took three days and converted the thing to work on an Apple II. All right. So after he converted, he said it was very simple. It just had uh, keyboard controls, and it was just ugly as sin. There was no, there was no menus. There was nothing. He called up Bro Bronerbun and said, "Listen, I've got a game here. I'm sending it over to you." They basically sent him out. That's a nice game. We're not interested. And so he took he took a step back and he refined it, and uh, um, eventually he resent re it back and uh, at this point he sent it to a bunch of people and they were like okay yeah now we're interested you know, this is now you got something and so he went ahead and signed a contract with Bronderbun and the reason he did was because uh, he, he he said the back end would be more money was short money in the front more money in the back and the game ended up being a huge hit they told him he would make good money if they sold 10,000 copies and it sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It was one of the most popular games of, of the era, was Load Runner. It was a very simple game. It was very similar to this in that you're a guy and you're digging for gold, you're being pursued. That's sort of kind of where the similarity ends because that game was playable. And as we'll get into later, this one, not so much, a little bit harder. Uh, and so one thing that I didn't know about this was how popular this game was in Japan. I knew it was popular in the States because at the time I'd heard about it. And if you were an old PC guy, everyone knew about Load Runner. There were sequels, uh, and it had something that very few games had at the time, which was a level editor. Uh, this sort of sounds mundane now, but at the time, the ability to make your own level was a real big deal. And so this was a real added uh, selling point for the game. People would make, you know, stay up all night making games with their buddy or whatever, back and forth. And I even did it, and I'm not usually a level editor guy, but it was a pretty easy thing to do. And it was a lot of fun. You could, and you'd spell your name out in bricks or your initials or whatever. It's the kind of lame junk a kid would do. But in Japan, this game really took off. It was a real big deal. And from an interview I read, uh, Doug said that he sold probably 10 times more games in Japan than he did in the States. Hmm, how interesting. It is. I don't know, who would have thought that? Yeah. You know? And it's a, it's a simple concept. Uh, for a game, but it really took off. <clears throat> and so, and originally he had called this game Miner before he changed it to Load Runner, which Load Runner is a much more interesting name. Yeah. And I guess Miner was, and that's been kind of done to death. Uh, so, eventually they they ported this game to, to the original Load Runner to everything. I mean, it got ported to everything. The Atari computers had a version, uh, the uh, C64 had a version, and a very important version was on the NES. It was one of the first, like, third party title was released on the NES and it was huge. It was a big, big seller in Japan. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's where they knew, okay, we got something here. And so there were plenty of sequels and some I think were exclusive only to Japan. And so with all that in the back of your head, here comes Hyper Load Runner. So 
with the principle out of the way, you're a guy obtaining this gold. To get the gold, you're pursued. You've got to go up ladders. Your guy can shimmy across uh, a, a wire that's, uh, you know, wires across the uh, top of the ladders or across, you know, brick areas or whatever. I mean, it's a basic game. There's not much more to get into than that. You're going to get the gold. What makes Hyper Load Runner stand out is uh, the just absolute brutal, brutal, stiflingly brutal difficulty. I loaded this thing up, and I picked, I have to admit, I, when, when I looked over Game Boy games, I thought, let's get something I'm fairly comfortable with. And I had some experience with, with Load Runner, and I thought, well, heck, Load Runner, you know? And so uh, when that came up, I thought, here we go. And I tried the first level, and I couldn't do anything. I was just horrible at it. The Game Boy version uses two buttons to dig, which was, I'm not used to that, but that's okay, actually. It's mm -hmm. a good thing. You can, one button digs to the left and one button digs to the right. Fairly simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I didn't have any problem with the controls. This is one of those games where the controls are fine. It looks okay. The problem is that they started with, there is no, uh, there's no ramp up in difficulty. The puzzle it starts with is, a, is a, probably an expert level puzzle. It's very difficult. You have access to the first, I think it's the first 20 puzzles. And you can, when you're on the main screen, you can just select, you can use your um, buttons to scroll through what puzzle you want and you hit start. I went through every puzzle you have access to, and there are plenty more after that. I have yet to finish any puzzle. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. I and mean, until I talked to Boat about it before the show, I was like, man, how am I going to put this across? I'm going to look like a big schmuck. But the puzzles were incredibly difficult. There's also the compounding effect <clears throat> that. Um, Load Runner on the on the Game Boy, the screen is is small, and so you don't see all of the screen. You don't even come close to seeing all of it. And so, right to me, that's that's the big, the big, uh, um, the problem with this game isn't so much. I mean, it is. It's very very difficult from the start. But in a game like Load Runner, you need to be able to see the entire level to form some kind of plan about what you want to do, how you want to accomplish this. Because um, sometimes you need to do things in a sequential order in order to be able to get to all the gold. Uh, the way that this game works is a lot like the way the early console Pac-Man games were. Like uh, the Genesis Pac-Man is, or the Genesis Ms. Pac-Man is like this, where they don't show you the entire oh, maze on the screen yeah, at one screen time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's really something that you should do on a puzzle game like this. I didn't like it on that either, no. by the way. But, and, and sometimes you could understand why they did it. Mm -hmm. And this one too, but I mean, because you really couldn't have this game in its current element in one screen. Uh, they, they decided to make the characters more uh, more defined. You know, the sprites, the good guy looks like a little Robin Hood fellow with a feather in his cap. Absolutely. Um, and you couldn't get that kind of detail if you zoomed out more. Yeah, and, and but the flip side of that is if you ever played the original Load Runners, um, your guy's literally a stick man. It's yeah. a lot like Jump Man. Mm -hmm. It's just a little stick, and the guys fought him are a little stick man. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's lame. And admittedly, they don't look as good as the guys on this, but if you if you shrink things down, if this was shrank down by, like, say, 15% even, it would make a difference in the, the amount of real estate you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't even think that's the biggest problem. That didn't help. The biggest problem is just they, they ramped up the difficulty too much. Now, there is some speculation that this was released as a um, game for people that were experts at Load Runner, all right, and just didn't tell anybody, mm -hmm. okay, or maybe somebody in Japan knew but never told anybody here. Um, 
I'm not an expert at it, and so <laughs> I had trouble. I'm a big fan of the original Load Runner because it you, you can feel fairly confident. The puzzles are actually quite clever, and when I watched a playthrough of this by someone that knew what they were doing, um, I mean, they are real head-scratchers even to watch. I mean, mm -hmm. you and the thing is, uh, there are certain puzzles, there are almost every puzzle, that if you screw up one time, you just have to just stop. Right, You're and done. this is evident by on YouTube. There's lots of uh, there's lots of videos about Hyper Load Runner. This is the only one that I was able to find where the guy playing it has any ability whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, rec <laughs> I recognized it immediately because I was like, oh, okay, he's getting past the board that I only saw one or the guy get past. Mm -hmm. It's the same guy. Doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, the Game Boy. I mean, really, the, the funny thing about this is, I, I wanted to like it when I first loaded up. I was like, this is gonna be great. It looks really nice. Uh, but unless you are a grand master of Load Runner, and I mean top shelf, I don't see how anyone could have any fun with it. And like I said, I was—I'm not the best game player, but I mean, I mean, this humbled me. And not—and it's a frustrating game too if you're not good at it, since you have no weapons, you don't have a fighting chance in this. I can't tell you how many times you, I mean, and on Load Runner, one of the things you'd always do is like you'd fall into your own hole, and that happens on here, or you'd get in a spot where you couldn't get out, mm -hmm. but it, it's not as common. You know, you're, you get in spots you can't get out. Like, I got to a point on the first couple levels where I was like, okay, how do I get that? I had no idea. Uh, some you, the, the bad guys will sometimes get the gold, and you can get them and take the gold from them, but it's, even that help is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, it was just too frustrating for me to to get into, uh, and I played it more than you would expect to be as bad at it as I am. Um, so it's funny because this game I actually reviewed pretty okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, most of the reviews are modern. Uh, Honest Gamers gave it seven out of ten. Uh, uh, Mu Paradise gave it a four and four point six out of five. That's pretty high. Yeah. I wouldn't go that high. Nintendo Life, 6 out of 10. You know, no. I don't think I'd go that high either. <laughs> uh, ASM gave it, these scoring, 8.4 out of 12. Yeah, well, these are the craziest scoring systems some of these. You, well, you got to remember that this is back in the day when they had, so especially these old magazine reviews, they'd have a 10-point scale for playability, you know, or something yeah. like now, that. Now, one, one review I wanted to make a, a particular note of here is the EGM review, and, and I'll, exp uh, I'll, I'll explain why here. EGM gave this game 3.25 out of 10, and it was the, it, they voted it the fourth worst game uh, released in 1990. And that covers a lot of, of uh, that covers a lot of space for the Game Boy, because I mean, God only knows how many games were released in 94, but I, I mean, it was probably a ton. And I mean, they killed this game. I don't know necessarily always um, agree with EGM, but I think they got it right. I think that's about what I, I mean, when you, if you can't play the game, it's not a good game. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I couldn't play the game. Any, any final thoughts on it? I think you summed it up well. Uh, I will not be returning to Hyper Load Runner. Yeah, and, and they made many, many other Load Runners. I will say that uh, Doug was not involved in this game. Uh, he did get involved from a uh, um, sort of a overseer standpoint with the uh, for the load run that was on the N64, which I've not played that one. I don't know if you've played it or not. Uh, he admitted in an interview I read that literally once he did the original load runner, effectively he was in it for the check after that. And Roy had no uh, say in the matters up to the N64 one. It's funny though, to look at what the, some of the stuff that he did afterwards. 
he did like a lot of like uh, like translations basically. And what I saw that one of the things he did was like uh, um, he did like Secret of Ma- was it is it Secret of Mana? Is that right? Yeah. He, he did went, the, he, he did the, the English translation of that. Huh. Uh, and which I thought oh Secret of Evermore. Excuse me. Okay. And he also to get this one. Oh no wait he did the English version of Secret of Mana. And he, he contributed to the localization of Chrono Trigger. Wow. Now, those, I know those aren't my bag, but I know people love those. He was executive producer of Secret of Evermore, which I don't know. I'm not heard of that. That's, a, that's another square action RPG. Really? Yeah. I'm guessing that his uh, uh, popularity in Japan probably didn't hurt him in that department. He probably Maybe that's the way how he landed that That was gig. his foot in the door. So he's worked on better games. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. And if you've played this game and not played any of the early load runners. Uh, I would say, you know, because I hate, I hope this didn't kill Load Runner, <laughs> you know, uh, but if you haven't played any of the early Load Runners, give them a shot because they're actually, they're really fun games and they're challenging. I mean, they're not, none of them are super easy, but they're they're absolutely more fun than this one, you know, and then once you get good at those, you can maybe come back to this one. Sounds good. So what do you got for us this week, Boat? You didn't look it up on eBay this week? Oh, I did. <laughs> My bad. Um, well, as is the comment on these, um, these are... El Chipo Grande, uh, loose, you get it for five bucks or less, and box, seven to ten wow. bucks or less. So this is so, a yeah. cheap, cheap game. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, if you're curious about what game I have out here, this is the only Game Boy game I currently own. This is a Tamag- the original Tamagotchi Game oh, Boy Oh, the little game. pets? Yeah. No kidding. For the, uh, for the original Game Boy. Uh, I picked this up in Japan. Um, and uh, and I've never played it, but I thought the box looked really neat. And, really? Uh, so I've kept it all, the, all these years. I wonder, does this have a battery in it to keep your Tamagotchi? Probably so. Oh, yeah. Something I should mention before we leave Hyper Load Runner, it does have a level editor on it, but you can't save your levels. Added bonus. <laughs> yeah. So unless you plan on playing the levels uh, locally, quickly, before you turn off your Game Boy or have to change the batteries, I, I, I'm guessing that level editor didn't get used too much. No, that's terrible. Yeah. That's terrible. All right, Aaron. Boat. It's time to talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Okay, so the Zelda series, it's one of the most storied series in all of gaming. Uh, it's, uh, this was the fourth Zelda title uh, in the series. The, the first two were on the NES. The third was on the Super Nintendo, and this game came out after the Super Nintendo version. Um, and uh, it is most like the Super Nintendo Zelda. It's most like A Link to the Past. Um, for those who are not familiar with the Zelda series, um, the original games before it went to 3D are all very similar except for the second one. The second one is a totally different game, much like Super Mario Brothers 2 is a totally different game than the rest is of the Is that the Mario side-scrolling games. one? Yeah. That's my favorite one. Okay. And I know it's the most hated. So, well, actually, it's got, it's got much like everything that's hated, it's got a strong contingent of people that actually think it's the best, so you yes. can join that crowd. Um, but the way that Zelda games work, the way that Zelda's 1, 3, and the Game Boy work, plus all of the ones that came out on the Game Boy after this, are uh, you explore this, this vast world. Uh, combat is entirely real-time, so even though you have a top-down perspective like you would in a game like Final Fantasy, in this game, when you attack an enemy, you push a button and you swing your sword or you throw a thing. Um, but it has elements of role-playing, and it has elements of adventure gaming. I think that the Zelda series is most like, you know, people people like you say, well, you know, I never got into Zelda. I was more of a Bard's Tale guy. But there, there's not really a comparison between those two games. Uh, this is more of a spiritual successor to the 2600 game Adventure, 
where you're roaming around, you know, killing things with your sword and finding secret places. There really isn't a level system in Zelda. There are no statistics. You do have a life bar, but it's not it's not numbers based. It's heart based, uh, like a lot of games. Um, but what the reason why people like Zelda is number one, the characters are engaging. Uh, Link is kind of your everyman fantasy hero. Um, <clears throat> There are recurring characters in all the games that people kind of like. Um, and I think that people really like the puzzle-solving aspect of it. Because at its core, half of the game is a puzzle game. Much like, um, you know, the game like Boxel. Or a game where you push around boxes. Or the Adventures of Lolo or something like that. Once you go into a dungeon, it's part combat, but it's part puzzle-solving. And it's mostly puzzle-solving. The combat in Zelda, uh, apart from the bosses, has never been very tough. Um, now, um, what is interesting about, I'm not going to talk too much about the Zelda series because uh, I could we could do a whole episode on the Zelda series, but I want to talk about what makes the Game Boy Zelda unique, okay? So uh, this was developed, this was released in 1993, August of 1993 in the United States. Uh, it was developed by Nintendo EAD. Um, Nintendo EAD was uh, formerly called Nintendo R&D 4, um, and this this was a group that released most of the awesome titles for the Nintendo, like Super Mario Brothers. Uh, the R&D 4, now known as Nintendo EAD, uh, they were headed up by Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. And these guys are the sort of the one-two punch of the Nintendo success. Um, so, in Link's Awakening, uh, the, the story is, it's very simple. Uh, Link wakes up on an island. He doesn't know what he's doing there. And he's, there's this guy in the room with him, and he says, "You need to wake up the windfish, and all your, you know, all your questions will be answered." So, uh, what you have to do is you have to go uh, discover uh, seven dungeons. You have to beat the bosses that are within them, and you have to retrieve seven musical instruments, which, in played in tandem, will awake the windfish. That's the that's the plot of the game. Um, so in that way, it's it's no different than most of the, the 2D Zelda games where you, you sort of do the same thing with a couple minor twists. Um, this game is the easiest 2D Zelda game. And that's part of the reason why I like it so much. Um, even though the combat is simple in, in Zelda games, uh, it can be punishing to die and have to start over. Especially one of my least favorite things about the Zelda series is that um, you start out with three hearts. And as the game goes on, you can find these heart containers that will extend your life meter. Um, you know, However, when you die, no matter how many heart containers you found, you only start with three hearts. Mm. And that's a huge drag. I don't like that, but that's, that's, the, that's the series. Um, this game has a couple items that make the combat easier. There's a thing called a piece of power, which looks like a little triforce, a little triangle that you can pick up, and that increases your speed and your power. Uh, and there's also these things called guardian acorns, which you can find. Uh, and when you have in possession one of those, uh, Link takes half of the damage that he would normally take. Why they're in this game and not in the other games, I don't know. If they thought that maybe the, you know this, this Zelda game, they wanted to make it more accessible for people that hadn't gotten into the series before. Um, they help a bunch, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the other things that are different about this game is they, they try to introduce some things to break up the normal pattern of like, go to a dungeon, 
find an object in the dungeon that helps you get to the next dungeon, beat the boss of that dungeon, and repeat. Um, they introduced this object trading mini game where you run across all these different colorful characters on the island, and you know, here's a banana, and then you'll be, what's this banana for? And then you're walking around, you talk to somebody else, hey, I really like bananas, can I have that one? And so it gives you a reason to talk to the people in villages, which you really didn't always have before. Um, and so the, the game is much more role-playing-ish like yeah, in that respect than, than the earlier Zeldas. Um, and another thing that makes this different and makes this my favorite Zelda title of all time is that this game is almost like a parody of the other Zelda games. Uh, it's very self-aware. You may not know that because of the fact that you haven't played them all, but um, it's it, it's sort of it sort of gives you a, a wink and a nod that you know you, you know what's going on here. Uh, for example, when you talk to uh, there are these boys that are tossing a ball in the village, and they're like. You know you can press select to see the map? I don't really know what that means, but maybe you can figure it out. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it breaks the fourth wall on several occasions. Um, the game itself doesn't take itself very seriously as evidenced by the amount of cameos in this game, too. Um, in addition to your normal Zelda fare, uh, there are several appearances of other famous Nintendo characters in this game. I was wondering, because I came across Yoshi... I mean, Yoshi's in here. He's not normally in a Zelda, right? No, no. In fact, there's, um, of course, you've got, you know, you've got Goombas. There are side-scrolling sections in this game. When you go down into a dungeon, sometimes the perspective shifts into a 2D view, yeah. which is crazy, and it's it, never been done since. Really? I, I was game. wondering if that was standard or not. No. What about the guy that's chained up in the village? It's that ball that's on the chain. Is he something that you yeah, like? That's so a Mario that's, guy, that, Yeah, right? that, that's a chain chomp. And is he and, not another guy? I thought and, that was odd yeah, when I saw he's, him. He's like, not in weird. any other game. You're right. I didn't, uh, that was subtlety. He was lost on this was This was put in at the last minute because one of the programmers was like, hey, watch this, I can put this in the, in the game and Link can take him for a walk. And they, they worked it into the game. Hmm. So um, other cameos, Dr. Wright from the Super NES version of SimCity. I don't know if you ever played that. but Because uh, Will Wright made it, right? Maybe, that's uh, maybe so. Actually, I never made that, that connection. W, right? Mr. Wright with yeah, the W? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he's, he's sort of a guy they put in SimCity to make it a little bit more personable and less just, you know, sterile. Um He's in the game. Wart from Super Mario Brothers 2 is in this game as a music teacher. So I didn't remember that from, from when I played it before. So anyway, it's, it's, it's very funny. Um, there's a guy that you meet in, in, the, uh, in, one of the, in the town. He's just hanging out in his house and he's like, what's up? I'm going to be lost in the hills later. If you, <laughs> you know, I'm going to need your help. You know? So I thought that was, I thought it was just sort of a breath of fresh air. You know, so many games take themselves so seriously these days, and Zelda has kind of fallen into that, you know, too. Breath of the Wild is is a more, you know, realistic game, and, and I, I, I have not played Breath of the Wild, but I doubt that it's got the amount of humor that this game has. Um, and the way that they handle uh, what you're supposed to do next is also very cool. Uh, ordinarily, like, did you ever play the N64 Zelda? I've had a cup of coffee. Okay, um, so in the N sixty four, there's a uh, there's like a fairy that is constantly hovering around you, and she says, "Hey, hey!" and she's constantly bugging you and telling what you need to do next. In this game, you use a phone, which can be found in several places throughout the world, to call this guy that lives in the village. He won't talk to you if you go into his house and talk to him. He says, "You need to call me. I'm shy." But then he tells you <laughs> what you have to do next. Which is really cool. I mean, it's just a different thing. I think that fairy reappeared in the Wii version as well. Mm, right? Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. So, um, 
anyway, that is sort of a, a, a sketch of, of the game. Uh, well, now, tell me, what do you think of the Zelda series? Well, it's pretty common knowledge that this stuff's not my bag. And I'm going to, this is going to be the uh, uh, good cop, bad cop thing. Well, it's not really. Uh, I've played the Zeldas on the NES, the, the first couple. And I have played a couple of the N64 ones, but my, I'm no, by no means a Zelda expert. Um, and uh, I, when you picked this last week, I was like, oh boy, you know, Zelda, this is going to be a, this could be a struggle. And I, uh, I will say that for starters, the Game Boy does a tremendous job graphically uh, with this game. It is very attractive. It's very easy on the eyes. It's very cute. Uh, they did a good job with the text. It's easy to see. And uh, I thought everything from a, from a basics standpoint was done well. Uh, the, the, uh, the fact that there are these oddball characters, it wasn't lost on me. Like I said, I wasn't sure that those guys weren't normally in the series, mm -hmm. but like I knew Yoshi and that dog thing. I was like, I don't remember. That's weird. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't remember those guys. Being just, that's, and once you mention that, it is, that does, uh, it is amusing that they, they, they took a tongue-in-cheek approach. Um, you mentioned that I, you thought I was a barge talk. I really, my, I was with the, you know, the Gold Box series and also Eye of the Beholder was a really, I like that game a lot. And so, uh, I, and I'm an old D&D guy from way back, so I like my role-playing a little more serious and a little less, uh, to me, this, the Zelda series, to a point, was very kid kidified. I, I don't, I'm not into the cutesy graphics, and I'm not into the, I mean, I don't think this stuff's really, to me, it doesn't even feel like a role-playing game because it's, it, the, what you're doing just sort of, hear me out, it's, sort of, it's sort of silliness to me. And it cutesy. It's not that much said. That's my personal preference. Uh, if you're into the exploration and uh, uh, discovery thing, uh, uh, I can understand how you can get into it. And again, I think it's a generational thing because really, when I was growing up, this stuff was not around until later on. And by the time I got old, this stuff came out, and I'd already went, done some other stuff. Okay. I, let, let me before you go on. Nobody calls this game a role-playing game. This is not a role-playing game. So to compare it to a role-playing game doesn't do anybody Well, you, did, you just mentioned it earlier that it had role-playing elements. It's got role-playing elements, a.k.a. you talk to people in town. Well, again, I don't want to debate you. I'm just saying, to it's, me, it's, a lot I of mean, people you consider can, this a role-playing role game. No, they don't. Nobody does. You can compare uh, like Eye of the Beholder to a game like Final Fantasy because it's got statistics. It's got turn-based combat. It's got stuff like that. That's a fair comparison. And you can say, well, they kidified Final Fantasy. And that's that's a fair point. But it's like saying they kidified RBI baseball because they didn't make it like Eye of the Beholder. Well, again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to debate you. I think it's a matter of taste. But a, a lot of people consider the Zelda series a role-playing no, series. And that much said. <laughs> that's just wrong. Well, I, disagree. I disagree. Um, Who? I Theo? He I, doesn't know anything. Who? Theo. Who's that? That guy you made up that I've never met. Okay. Anyway, the guy, the in the see this, I don't want to debate you on the Zelda because I know you're passionate about it, and I'm not that passionate against it. I don't have a problem with well, it. Well, if I you're going to, if you're going to debate, people like it. If, I, but it, that much, I, my opinion. If you're going to trash it, trash it on. I'm its I'm not own trashing merits. it. I'm just saying it's not my cup of tea. Now that much said, uh, before you jumped in, I think it from the from a control standpoint with the sword, I had no problems. I was able to advance. Quite easily, I, I went up through the. Uh, I keep wanting to call it the rear cave. Was it? Was it rear tail? Right. The, is that the first one? The tail dungeon. Mm -hmm. I went up through that, 
and uh, and progressed pretty well. Did you uh, make it through the end of the first dungeon? Yes, I got the little um, uh, uh, what it was p one part of the heart, I believe, is what I ended up getting. You, um, you get a cello. Cello, yes, you're close. that's right. So, um, I, and it played well. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't have any problems. And from from a mobile perspective, I think it's it was clearly it's you could play it on the go mm -hmm. and it would work fine. I like the part. There's a part in it where you. It's actually that part right there that's on the screen, the part where you use the crane machine. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, and that's another thing that's not in... Well, okay, I don't want to say it's not in any of the other Zelda games, but I can't recall it being in any of the other Zelda games. All the mini games that you can play. Um, again, it's just it's sort of lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game the game is absolutely a lighthearted romp, all right? Um, I don't... I, one thing I've never liked about any of the Zeldas is, is going through and just hacking down grass and stuff. I don't... Some people like that, yeah, and they sure. go through That's every fair. square, and mm -hmm. and and I, you know, it, to me, it's just, it's not that fun. Yeah. Now I can equate it to stuff like I used to do in say EverQuest. It's not that fun to go out and hunt a bunch of uh, you know yard trash to get experience points either. But you did it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, all that said, uh, when I played this, I actually enjoyed it more. I mean, I was actually not looking forward to it, and I actually enjoyed it uh, uh, more than I thought I would. Uh, it's cute. If you if you get into the right mindset uh, um, and and just and just run around and kill stuff, I mean I don't know how hard it gets, but uh, uh, and I'm sure it gets harder, and I'm sure there are puzzles and stuff that get difficult. But for me, I just thought it was it was lighthearted fun, and I enjoyed it. Is it something I'd go back to? Uh, maybe. I mean, if, of all the Zeldas, uh, uh, not counting the Zelda two, and also the fact that there was a, it switched the side view at one point, that really surprised me. Pleasantly, I might add. I actually thought that was pretty cool, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that's something that that, that goes on throughout the game. Um, but uh, the, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. This game, you know, I'll, there's a game called Cadash. I don't know if you've played that one. It's a side-scrolling uh, fantasy game that reminds me somewhat of Zelda in a more action, you know, genre where you go. There's a town. You talk to the people, and you go to the store, and you mm -hmm. you do all this job. That's a little more my speed mm -hmm. uh, of, of of game, but I mean, uh, this it's funny. Of all the games I've played, this is what re that's what it reminded me of. It was sort of a sort of a cat ashy game, and again, not having the experience to have having played the other games very in depthly, uh, I'm sure people can make better comparisons. But overall, you know, uh, if this is your cup of tea, uh, I'm sure it's a great game. I, there are plenty of things to like about it if if if, if that's what you're into. I was a kid, um, I got stuck in um, Link's Awakening. All right, yeah. Okay, so, of course, this is pre-internet. Um, I did not have the player's guide at the time, you know, the strategy guide or anything did like that. Did they make one for this? They did. Okay. Um, I, I got it uh, I got it later on. Um, and so I did what any kid would do, um, whose parents would not let them call the 1-900 Nintendo hotline <laughs> yeah. at $3 a minute. I wrote to Nintendo. I wrote a handwritten letter to Nintendo. Yeah. And about a month and a half later, while I was still stuck at this spot, I got a response from Nintendo. And so uh, I went over to the bookcase and I searched for the letter. Unfortunately, I did not find the letter. So instead, I brought an autographed picture of Will Wheaton and my fifth grade school picture in which I'm holding a Super Nintendo controller. So uh, 
that is uh, that is the end of that story. Unfortunately, I was unable to, uh, now, to find the, the, the letter. Since you weirdly brought these, <laughs> let me ask you, why do you have an autographed copy of Will Wheaton? Well, and where did you meet the, the wheat? I, I met him. There was a Trek convention in Charleston. Oh, yeah? This was probably in 94 or 95. Yeah. And he was signing. He, was he looks much more wholesome here than he is now. Does he look? I haven't seen Will Wheaton probably. He's since. a Will. I know is, he's some sort of an internet superstar. He's an internet darling. Uh, he's in cahoots with a bunch of different little projects. Uh, I think he does some stuff on the uh, uh, with uh, uh, what's your Felicia Day. In fact, he was in. If you have watched Felicia, any of Felicia Day's stuff, board game show mm-hmm. or uh, uh, Geek and Sundry, her ch- ch- is that her channel? Uh, uh, one of her shows. She, he's in that. He, he's in the uh, uh, that medieval role playing game I feel show. Like, I feel like Will Wheaton is like the geek wannabe Neil Patrick Harris. You know, well, I, you know, I could see why you would say that. But by the way, I also linked to Felicia Day and that whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, he came. She sort of came back before Neil Patrick Harris did, I think. Mm. So I think they're contemporaries. Now, what do you think of that? Um. Well, <laughs> I'm surprised your mom would let you pose with the controller. Well, she had no idea. One of the guy in front of me in line, he was like, "I'm gonna hold this in my picture," and yeah. I was like, "Can I hold it too?" <laughs> and that's how it got done. I'm go. wearing my Summer Academy shirt. Does Luke go to Summer Academy? He does. The, he goes to Japanese camp, yeah, and he does a bunch yeah. of crazy stuff. And there's, so. there's Will Wheaton. Yeah. yeah. I wonder so. if Will ever had an Amiga. I bet he did. I'm sorry that I could not find the actual letter, but that was the, so the gist of it. So what did they say? The gist of it was, I got stuck in this spot, too. That's what the, the, the game counselor guy said. Yeah. And so that made me feel good. And did then he give me like, an answer? Yeah, and he's like, this is how you do it. And I did it. And then literally, it was like one or two weeks after that happened. I got the uh, the strategy guide. Really? And, and all was right with the world. So how long did it take you to beat this particular game? Um, it probably took me close to six months, I'd say, you know, um, playing it. Um, I've never been the best at video games or thinking. And so, um, you know, it takes me a while, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I thought it was so cool to have an experience like you have on the console in your hands. Yes. You know, such yeah. a, such I mean, cool really... Uh, much like the Mario conversions to the Game Boy, which I have had a cup of coffee with those and played some of them, uh, they're, you know, some stuff translated quite nicely to the Game Boy and to have yeah. that stuff on the road, outstanding. Now, there was a, um, a Game Boy Color re-release of this game called Legend of Zelda DX, hmm. okay? And this was released in 1998. It's the same game with a couple important differences. The first one, they've added this thing called a camera shop. Okay, so you go and visit what there's a new house in the town and it's run by this mouse photographer. Okay, and so as you, you know, as they are, and so as you progress through the game, when you, when various things happen, this mouse shows up and takes your picture. Okay, yeah, and you get a snapshot of that. So when you go back to the photographer's shop, there's an album on the table. You open up the album and you can see yourself in all these pictures. Yeah, okay, now here's the crazy part. If you hook up a Game Boy printer, I knew that's where you were going <laughs> to the Game Boy. Then it will you you can print a picture of you of not really you but of Link you know in that post. You can be like, I'll remember that. So uh, the Game Boy printer, boy, what a what a peripheral. I love, <laughs> I love. First of all, that is great, and I love the the Game Boy had a bunch of crazy add-ons and peripherals. And little cameras and just all kinds of zany stuff. And the printers and all the zany things, it's just outstanding. Uh, I remember my brother's Game Boy, he had 
the magnifying gimmick that hung off the front and the light mm -hmm. and all the job. Oh, yeah. But it was this big. It was a huge. I had the same thing. You were and, carrying uh, around. Sometimes you have like batter, extra battery stuff, just craziness. <laughs> Cartridge container on mm -hmm. it, you know. It was almost like a, the Swiss Army knife of Game Boy. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. You know? You're right. <laughs> and so the fact that they. And uh, now, what, do, do you think they did that just to sell printers? Is that, or, or is it just something that people, as a service? How do you think they did it? I think that they, they, they had, you know. They they were like, hey, we can make these little dot matrix printers super super cheap. All right. You know, let's figure out a way to make some games have compatibility with them. Was was and that was this game one of the big titles for the printer, or did they have a, there were a lot of games? I want to say that there was there was also a game that had a camera mounted on yes, it. Yes, yeah, I remember right? that. And I think that you could use the Game Boy printer to print a photo that you take, you know, with horrible resolution. So, but I'm guessing. Well, I wonder if the Game Boy printer was widely used or oh, used hardly at I all. I, I don't know of any other way that it was used. I've been in Japan they used the heck out of it. Maybe so. Yeah. Uh, and there is there's one other Game Boy related thing that I wanted to bring up that I wanted I saw it in Nintendo Power and it never came out here but it was called the Work Boy. And what it was was it was a, a game it was a game and then it also had this peripheral that slotted onto the bottom and it turned your Game Boy into like a PDA. It had a full-size keyboard. Well, not a full-size keyboard, but it had all the keys on it. Yeah. And it, you could have like a calendar and all that stuff. And of course, this is more Palm Pilots and stuff. And I thought, well, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. I was very geeky as a kid. That's very that, cool. That, that excited me. Uh, <laughs> and, I love um, it. Yeah. Um, I, will say, uh, I will say the first time I ever... This is appropriate for the Game Boy because the first time I ever saw an emulator, ever, I was surfing a bullet board in Dunbar, and this game, <laughs> and it said Game Boy emulator. I mean, this is way back. Mm -hmm. I was like, Game Boy, what is an emulator? I didn't even heard the term mm -hmm. at the time, and I remember I didn't I didn't know what it was, so I didn't fool with it. And then years later, I was like, I'm going to try one of these things. And I, of course, then that's when the you know the floodgates opened. Well, not really, but for a few, select few of us. But mm -hmm. it was. That was the first thing I ever saw emulated was the Game Boy. Well, it makes sense because I always thought that the Game Boy had the same processor and the same sort of horsepower as the Nintendo, but it actually, the chip used in that was like an old, like from the ZX80, you know, it was a really, really old uh, microprocessor. So uh, I can understand how that would have been one of the first systems that was able to be emulated. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah. Um, so I looked up Link's Awakening on eBay. Uh, this is... A, uh, it's it's a pretty pricey game um, as Game Boy games go. Uh, you're going to pay about sixty five for a complete inbox mm. and uh, about twelve bucks for the regular version. Now, if you go or you know loose, now if you go with the DX, this one is the one that is is even more desirable. Um, I guess it's got an extra dungeon in it too, uh, and you're going to pay about twenty five bucks loose and about seventy complete inbox. You know, the, I will say one thing about the Game Boy for the most part. A lot like we talked about last week. I mean, you can you can pick up cartridges for it loose for pretty reasonable, if not ridiculously reasonable. Mm -hmm. In fact, now that has changed somewhat in the past five years as everything's went you know up, 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 up. But I mean, there was a time where you couldn't give away Game Boy cartridges. Now there's sort of a, the markets really come roaring back. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'll, I'd say I bet seventy percent of the Game Boy library you could get for under five bucks. Yeah, yeah. You know? I remember getting games super, super cheap. And again, we'd find them at yard sales and things like that. And, I will say, uh, do you think there's ever been a system that had more straight-up shovelware than the Game Boy? Yes. And I mean, and, and here's the, <laughs> an added bonus: how many systems had so many quality titles and had so much shovelware? I mean, yes, it was a lot of times feast or famine. I think that the Game Boy Advance 
trumps the Game Boy. It, yeah. Because the Game Boy yeah. Advance has got so many garbage titles, but they've got so many. That's probably the retro system that I play the most on the Raspberry Pi is the yeah. Game Boy Advance. Well, both the of Game them. Boy, the Game Boy family of consoles definitely has the most shovelware and the most quality. Yeah, and I will say that translated right up into the Wii. Yeah. Now, I don't know about the Switch, but <laughs> and we were, I know I had the Wii. It's like every kind of crummy thing you can mm-hmm. think of. And Barbie this and... Movie tie in yeah. that movies mm-hmm. never heard of, they got a game, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming that the Game Boy was fairly easy to develop for, and that's Probably why that's so. stuff and cheap, yeah, you know. So, yeah. yeah, so that's pretty good, but I think overall, like I said, you were killing me. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I thought it was okay, good, and that's okay, it's pretty good coming from your I, I respect that. So, uh, we should probably. Uh, mentioned that uh, about we should talk about our Patreon uh, on this thing. We are going to open up uh, ARG uh, to our Patreon. Uh, if you decide that you'd like to support the show, uh, you can head over there. What's the address for the Patreon? It is uh, patreon.com slash Amigos Podcast. And, uh, you know, this is as free as it gets. We're not going to charge anything. It's just if you feel motivated to throw us a buck, you know, we'll be more happy to take and, it. And, you know, this this goes without saying, but if you're already uh, supporting us for Amigos, please do not give us any more money for ARG. You're already doing enough. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, and we appreciate everybody yeah. that helps us out. Yeah. Uh, so, normally, this is when I'd say, boat, get the wheel. But we're going to change up with a special episode next time out. We call it the Switcheroo episode. So, me and Boat have picked games for each other to play as opposed to picking them for ourselves. And we're effectively forcing one another to play the games. Uh, so, uh, we both pick games, and, and it's funny, completely... Uh, coincidentally, we both picked games with the same system. Uh, so, what are the odds? Uh, so, I will go first, Boat, and for you, I picked for the Sega Master System, Choplifter. Oh! Uh, we, we spoke cho- about Choplifter a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a fresh on my mind, and I've always heard that the uh, Master System had a very good version, and so I'm hoping to throw you a tasty treat with this one. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you a solid. All right. I want you to talk about pro wrestling. Okay. Pro wrestling system. on the Master System. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I think I own both these games, and so mm-hmm. we will uh, be able to play them on the authentic hardware and see what, see what we think. Awesome. Uh, so, I think that pretty much closes it down, Boat, unless you get anything else. Well, do you want to talk about how we film this show live every week? We do film it live. Uh, these people can attest to it. They are live mm-hmm. chatters. We've got a pretty good crowd in here today. Uh, I can't tell exactly how we got, many we've got. Yeah, we got we, shout-outs to UK Retro Gamer, Pixels at Dawn, Duncan Styles, Will Williams, Chris Folds, Jason Warns, Trey Guard, Necronom, Hasifa. Thanks, guys, so much for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, Michael Ryan, a.k.a. Creepy Dead Boy. I saw the Huck in there earlier. Yeah, so uh, thanks so much. Like I said, um, most weeks we record on Fridays at uh, about 5.30 Eastern time. However, the next two weeks we are recording ahead of schedule because I'm going to be out of town for a couple weeks and got Easter coming up. So um, look for us in your podcast feed or on the YouTube channel. And we'll be back in three weeks live and in style. Yeah, and, and the shows will still be going out the same bad time, same mm-hmm. bad channel. just won't be recorded live. Right. And we appreciate everyone for showing up. Thank you very much. Like I said, we usually record this right before we uh, record Amigos. So uh, that'll be kicking back in as soon as uh, April rolls around. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess that's all we got. We will take it to the house next week, Master System Switcheroo time. And until then, adios. adios.
Shannon and John making a new podcast. <laughs>